If you would like to watch these interviews in video form and are curious about the happenings of my little business called Fane House, where I paint and make art prints and gift cards from my watercolor originals, I'd love for you to sign up for my email list. When you do, you get a coupon for 10% off a one-time purchase in my Etsy shop. You will also be granted access to our free private Facebook group, which is the one spot you can watch these interviews. If this all sounds fun to you, go to your web browser and type bit.ly forward slash Fanehouse to sign up. You can find this link as well as links for each person I interview in the show notes of each episode. How can you do all that needs done in life and still pursue your desire to learn French or the guitar or grow a plant or make art? You can't put a fiddle under your pillow and wake up playing it. Though how cool would that be? But one thing we can do, no matter how chaotic and overwhelming life can be, is know that every tiny small motion in the direction of those endeavors really do matter. And not only that, they add up over time with great momentum. Join me, Annie Fane Barillon, as I interview painters and gardeners, designers and musicians, photographers and cooks, creative livers of any kind, who have somehow, in the middle of it all, continued on their creative paths, no matter what. This is Fane House Radio, and I'm so glad you're here. My name is Rachel Yarrick, the main creative endeavors of my life currently and probably like the undercurrent ISO. And that has been kind of an always thing and ongoing in the background, even if it's not necessarily what I'm focusing on right, right now, it's, it's kind of the undercurrent, but I've dabbled in like all sorts of different things. I remember one time, I think my oldest was maybe four and we were at her dance class and there were other moms sitting there and I was kind of, you know, reading a book or something, just enjoying a little bit of downtime. And one of the moms said something about when her children went to school is when she would have hobbies. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there reading my book thinking I, I have more hobbies than I can count. <laughs> and so I've always, you know, I crochet and I knit. I really enjoy making from nothing a way to say what fuels my creative endeavors. You know, as a, as a kid, it was the fort building. Me and my brother and I, we would go out in the woods and we'd just take, he had like a machete, you know, very safe, very, (laughs) and we'd like hack down these sticks and build these forts just with whatever we had on hand. And I think that's kind of just carried on with all of my creative endeavors. It's, you know, making with the things that I have on hand and, uh, yeah, in, in whatever way that I can. So lots of lots of different different things, but always the undercurrent of of sewing for sure. So your threads are sewing and making something from nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess. I mean not literally nothing, not like magic poof, you know, but <laughs> now that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be cool. That would be pretty sweet for sure. <laughs> I know it's a kind of funny thing to ask, but why do you sew? Why do you like sewing? Do you think? I think, I think, in a in a way, it's a connectedness. It's something that I have always done. I don't remember learning how to sew. I don't have any of those core memories. I, I feel like I've just always kind of sewn, but also my maternal um, grandmother, my mom's mom, she was an amazing quilter. And she is somebody who, she, she passed away when I was five years old. 
And uh, we didn't even live in close proximity, but I have very vivid memories of her. I think in a way it's kind of a connectedness to that. It's a, a bond, uh, something that I share with her and, and in a way relate to her through that. And it's also just a medium that comes easily and naturally to me. And so I gravitate to it, I think, is why it's been the, the undercurrent. Fabrics in general themselves are inspiring. And so I'm, I'm drawn just to them, the colors and the patterns and the feel and the way that they can carry memories. Even when you, when you think about quilt, I have one quilt that my grandmother made just having that object. And I know it's not just textile objects. I know that there can be furniture, there can be places, all these things that evoke memories. But for me, it's this tactile, this tangible memory that you can hold and feel and see. And I think that sewing opens up those avenues. A quilt can be a hug also. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And when you just think about the time and that her hands, how much she handled that. And so I guess the connectedness in that way and the feeling of her hands as you're, as you're wrapped in, in her quilt, you know, and that's just, that's special. It's just really special. I really encourage people to go see your work. And if you're watching the video, you could probably see the front of your dress. Can we see the front a little bit? Some people just quilt and some people do just garments and you are doing both. So you're yes. doing piecework for the front panels. So like yeah. quilt squares go down the whole front panel of your garments and they yeah. are wonderful. Thank um, you. And you have an Etsy <laughs> shop and everything and you do custom orders. I just want everybody to know, like, go get one of these dresses. They're gorgeous. <laughs> and I just wanted to ask, well, how did you start to combine those two ideas? Making garments is a whole nother world than making quilts because they need to fit the person's body. And so that has a challenge to it. Yeah. How did all that come about for you? Okay. So I worked in housekeeping for six years in hotel housekeeping. And at some point or another, somebody in management ordered new sheets for like the entire hotel, but they ordered the wrong size. And so all of these, I'm, I don't even know how many sheets, how many just white, black, king size sheets then went to, to like a surplus kind of place that, cause it was, it was one of Penn state's hotels that I worked at. And so it went to like this surplus warehouse that Penn state has. And so I was able to purchase tons of these white flat sheets, which is just like blank canvas fabric. I was experimenting with some like natural dyeing and, and that kind of thing, which has just been tons of fun. That's great to get the kids involved with too. I had dyed one of the sheets with goldenrod and gotten this pale green kind of color and there was plenty of it, you know, so I started just kind of messing around, piecing some blocks and thought that I would back it with this goldenrod dyed and so it was worked into that and I got, I think like five blocks made and I set them aside. I don't know what it was, but one day I was like, hmm, yeah, just a, that, a quilt panel just running down the front. And so I took those five and then the rest of that goldenrod dyed sheet and just made my first, actually it was this, it was this quilt dress out of it and loved it for myself. I've overworn it because I just, I enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoy it so much. So I don't know exactly like where or how the idea came. Obviously right now quilt dresses are kind of like in, you know, or something it's, it's trending, I guess would be what it is, but I don't even know. It was just, cause it was just the front panel. And it was like, I think, I think 
could work. And, and it really, it really is. I'm really enjoying it. And I like, I like the way it looks. <laughs> because it looks awesome. <laughs> it looks so good. I mean, you can see even just through images, it's very well made the way your collars are, you know, I, like I told you, I'm a sewer. And so when you see it well done, you're like, wow, just so nice. When did you decide to take the business side to it? So I am a, like a big project person. I like to have big projects going on. I think for me, the business side is like the big project. If that makes sense, it gives the little projects purpose. I could make myself lots and lots of dresses and my mom, I, <laughs> my mom's like, what am I getting another one? When are you? <laughs> but to have the, the business gives it focus and direction. And admittedly, I am, I am not a business person. I am really bad at it, but, um, how do you know though? That's what makes me wonder, like, what's the definition of bad? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I said something to, to my daughter. So my, my oldest daughter is 15 and, and she's just, she's a lot of fun. I said something to her the other day. I was like, man, I'm just like really bad at business. And she was like, mom, you can't just give everything away. I was like, oh, is that maybe that's what I'm doing wrong? I don't know. I don't know. So it, I guess, I guess for me, thankfully, the business aspect for me can just kind of be a hobby. I'm in that position, you know, I'm a stay at home mom. And so it really for me is just a hobby. So it's something that I would like to be better at, to be more knowledgeable about and be able to, you know, like <laughs> pull off better, I guess. But at this point in time, it's more just the outlet and it's creative in itself because running a, like an online business especially is very visual. That's creative in itself. You know, the, the writing aspect, the writing of descriptions and just kind of letting people get to know your product through a computer screen is, is a creative kind of endeavor as well. So yeah, I think it's just kind of like the big project that my little projects can fit, fit inside of. And the thing is the stay at home mom part is a really big job. Right. At the same time, every mom or dad, whoever's at home has mm -hmm. other sides to themselves, you know, has other dreams, has other parts of them, things you want to do so badly. And yeah. I can see you're successfully folding that in. You, you have a little studio, but you made sure you have one, you know, for example, yeah. like that's fighting for it. The Instagram videos that you do of the skirt twirling and, you know, <laughs> things like that. So <laughs> I really struggle, really struggle. It's photography is very, very hard for me. It doesn't come naturally. And it's like, I pick up a camera and I'm immediately exhausted, like just <laughs> immediately exhausted. So I really had to work on that, I think, because it does, it does not come naturally at all. So that's been a challenge. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's one thing to make what we make. It's uh -huh. another thing to be in business with what we make. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes we have the funds to hire people for all the things like the yeah. website or marketing or editing or whatever, our audio, whatever. Sometimes we don't yet. Right. right? So it's like, you're also on top of making, learning all the things it takes to have your own business, which means you're one of, of everything from photographer to accountant. So yes, yeah. all of the things.
<laughs> graphic designer. And yeah, <laughs> that's like something I wish that I could just like pass off. And even the photography. So my, my 15 year old, she has always been a natural photographer. I mean, from the time she was little, she would just take my little flip phone and like snap, snap, and it would be gorgeous and amazing. And it's something that I really wish that she would really dig into kind of, but so far she hasn't had like that pull for it. She has the natural like ability, but not the pull for it. And I'm like, can you please just work for me? But she's also very much like 15, you know? <laughs> But I love the idea of bringing in some family members. Help me, help me. Um, you describe yourself as a maker with an affinity for the folk arts. What does that mean to you? Well, to me, an affinity is just something that you're like naturally drawn to. Like you just are spontaneously drawn to whatever it is that you have the affinity for. And the folk arts to me, I know there's probably like a technical actual definition, but when I think of the folk arts, I think of the things within a group of people that have always been sort of passed down to each other that are accessible, number one, that it's just taking the everyday that's around you and creating art with it that can be taught and, and handed. And it's, it's just very accessible from the resources that are around you. I know every culture has its folk arts and it's from what's, what's around you. To me, a lot of times too, it's the functional aspect of things that people choose to make art instead. So I think about like, you know, um, brooms, <laughs> it's just an object to clean your house. But at some point someone was like, I'm going to make this beautiful and I'm going to teach you how to do it too. And you can, because it's just taking this broom corn over here that's growing and a stick from the woods. And we're going to, you know, so it's using the things that are around you or, or quilting obviously is like a huge example of that because it's using traditionally all of the scraps that you have around for the function of being warm, but instead of just making a function, you make it beautiful, you make it art as well. And I'm just always drawn to those things. And I think that I get frustrated because it seems to me that there's like this thought now or something that these things that are folk arts are somehow inaccessible, that, you know, it's only for this, a certain group of people, or a lot of times it's like, almost become like an academic kind of something instead of just an everyday accessible thing. Right after I graduated from college, I went to Boulder, Colorado to do my internship. And uh, my best friend went with me and she's a quilter also, but like, you know, <laughs> 22 year old quilters, like college, <laughs> kind of. but um, there was a quilt show at Estes Park and she and I went and we're wandering around and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And of course, there's a lot of people who are selling their products and everything there too. And there was a lady doing a demonstration for a tool. I don't even remember what it was, but she said something like, you know, you can't even, you can't even piece a quilt for less than, I forget what she said, like $160 or something like that. And I'm thinking, why, why is quilting become like this inaccessible thing? You know, I just pieced a quilt for $1.60 from fabrics that I grabbed from a yard sale, you know, and it's, I don't know why, or even like, and I'm not a basket maker, but I think about basket making. I mean, it's something that people have been doing for thousands of years, thousands of years. Why is it now you have to order this from the catalog and have to get these products and you have to get these, you know what I mean? I just don't, I don't understand that. So for, for me, it's like the stripping away of all of the maybe consumer aspect of it or something. And just like, I just love to see the things that people can do with, with what's around them. It's just, it's really inspiring. And I'm, I'm just drawn, I'm drawn to that. You're drawn to the aesthetic and also the philosophy, it seems. Right. And if you say, 
I mean, another word for folk is people. So it's people arts. It's just like folk dance is dance of the people, folk music. Right. So that approachableness is a huge part of it. It's like for people of the people. Right, <laughs> right. exactly. And, and not just like this, only this little group of people that has the time and the resources and the funds. I mean, it's the, it's the people. Yeah. In the old days, you had no choice but what to use what was around you, which would inform what material you made your basket of or whatever. You needed it so badly that you had to make it to use it. And then maybe you would trade with the person that was better at the other thing. It is uh -huh. interesting because also we're talking about being in business. So like if you're in business, how much time does it really physically take you and the wear and tear on your body for what you're making? And then how do you charge for these things? Yeah. Cause you want to yeah, be yeah. respected and honored for right. what you do. And then mm -hmm. at the same time, yeah, that is a dilemma. My mom raises sheep and she does from the sheep to the wool, to the dye, to the sweater. So cool. And that's like her work. She's a yeah. teacher. She she's been doing it over 40 years. Sometimes I would feel like, Oh, for her, because there's no way if you took all that went into the feed, the electricity in the barn. I mean, every single thing, the wormer for the sheep, you know, the time to do the natural dyeing, and then you're collecting all the materials and all that stuff. Uh -huh. There's no way there's a charge on it that would make any sense. You know, she's Absolutely. getting paid like a penny an hour, basically. Right. And on the other hand, well, maybe all that time and all that energy went into her learning how to become a master of her craft so that she could be a teacher and like, pass it on. So maybe it's more uh -huh. about passing it on. Right. Absolutely. So you have patterns. People can go check them out. When you say patterns, are you saying people can purchase the pattern or they choose that pattern to have right. a custom order made with? I have six different, I guess more than a pattern, it's a style or a, I guess this, a style. And it's actually all, maybe they're variations is what it is because it's essentially all the same dress. There's just six different variations of this dress. Then you choose like which variation you want and which fabric you want and you give me your measurements and then I, I make it to fit in your variation that you want and your fabric that you want. And um, your variations are named for family members, right? Yes. Yeah. They're named for my, my mom and my aunt. My mom is one of 11 children, 10, 10 surviving. My, my grandma, the, the one that I was talking about earlier, she, she had 11 children. The first only lived a few hours and then she, she went on to have 10 more. So four boys and six girls. So I know. And my, my mom was the last, was she was the baby. And she was actually born when my grandma was 46 years old. So I just, I think about that even too, like maybe grandma, but so they're named for my mom and my aunts then. And it just kind of fit. I, I came up with these six variations and I think just in order to pay homage to my family, which is just so important to me, I thought I would, I would name them after my aunts. That's there's the Zelma May. She was the oldest, Betty Louise, the Madge Dolores, the Naomi Ruth, the Joyce Evelyn, and then the Linda K. the Linda, Linda's my mom, but yeah. And there's such, <laughs> it's like poetry. Those names are like poetry. <laughs> <laughs> They're wonderful women. My great grandmother's <laughs> name was Zelma. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's, I have never heard, never heard of anybody else with that name. Me neither. <laughs> Something else we have in common. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so one thing you share about, and I have some dear friends um, who care about this also, is the mm -hmm. nature of the fashion industry. You talk about exploitation of young people within the fashion industry, 
but also of nature and what it takes chemically and water and energy wise to create fabrics and dyes and patterns and all that goes into it behind the scenes is so much before we ever put our hand on the hanger. What is your general philosophy on this? Also how it pertains to your business practices. Obviously it's, it's no secret about, you know, the problems within. And I, I almost hesitate to say fashion industry, which I know that's what, that's what I say, like on, on my Etsy shop and on my social platforms and everything, but it's really just the clothing industry. Because I think when you say fashion industry, it takes it to that other level. Like I don't consider myself a fashionable person. So if I hear, like you know, the fashion industry, I'm like, oh, that's the, you know, the people that really care a whole lot about what they're, how they look and everything. But really, I mean, it's just the clothing industry and every everybody hopefully wears clothes. And it's, it's just when you choose to buy anything, you're choosing to support that particular thing with your money. And so it can be like a huge can of worms, obviously. And I don't, I mean, clothing is just something that I have been really convicted about. When you think about everything that we know about the way clothing is produced now, And you just don't really want to support that. You just don't really want to, you know, when you think about where the majority of your clothing is being produced and the people that are producing it, and that's even just at like the garment factories and that kind of level. And when you even go beyond that to the farming practices, I mean, it just gets exponentially out of, out of control and heartbreaking. I think when you just think about how people are so exploited just for you to put on your clothes that you, you know maybe paid a lot of money for, maybe didn't pay a lot of money for, but you just didn't even think about, I guess, is part of it. And so I have always been a thrift store shopper. That has just been my thing. But when you choose to remove yourself from directly buying from that industry, when you go to a big box store and and buy that, whatever off the shelf, wherever it is that you're, you're purchasing from, you're choosing to support that industry that we know is so flawed. When you buy it secondhand, your money is not directly going into the hands of the people who run that industry. Instead, a lot of times it's going into the charities or whatever that the the thrift store is funding. And so for me though, that it takes it a step further because yes, you you can make your clothes, you know, and you're not supporting that industry. However, that fabric that you're purchasing is still being made in those factories that are exploiting those people. And so for me, like I can't even in in good faith do that. I can't, you know, run to the big box fabric store and just buy some yards off the shelf. And I know that's not everybody's conviction. I, I know and I understand that. But for me, I just can't. I just can't do that. For me, I have to take it even that step further and purchase my fabrics and supply secondhand as well because it just makes sense to me. When you're in need of restocking your supplies, you go on a treasure hunt, basically. I do essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do have, I mean, we have some pretty great thrift stores around here, but we actually, we also have my, my favorite ever store. It's called Scraps and Skeins. It's locally in State College and it's a creative reuse store. You can donate your fabric and then they resell it. And they, in turn, they're an affiliate of Strawberry Fields, which is an association or not an association, an organization that supports individuals with developmental delays and mental disabilities, um, that kind of thing. So yeah, which is like a huge, I feel like every community should have a store like this because it's just such a great, so for the most part, if I like 
can't find it like because it's it's about half an hour away from me so if i can't find anything at like the closer thrift stores i, I can guarantee that i can go there and and purchase the yardage or the yarn or the the thread or whatever it is that i need it's also um because a lot of people within my community, within my circle, know that I do this, I end up the recipient of a lot of people's de-stashes, which is just a huge blessing. I just got a de-stash from a friend of mine at church, and I'm not sure exactly who it came from. It was, I mean, so much thread, like so much thread. So it was just perfect because, you know, I was, I was like, hello. <laughs> so now I have like every color. <laughs> That's awesome. You were saying, you you know, it's kind of the mode of the moment maybe to do the quilt squares or on garments and things, but not everyone is following the secondhand fabric philosophy. And I yeah. think that that's special and very thoughtful. And I appreciate that. You have some children, I hear. I do. Do you live on a farm too or? Yes, we do. I have three daughters. I have a 15 year old, my daughter, Grace, and then my daughter, Annabelle is five. She just started kindergarten and my daughter is three. She's napping with hers, but, um, and we do, we live on a farm. My husband is a third generation farmer. So his pap is the one that originally bought this farm. And at this point they've done like a little bit of everything. It's my husband and my brother-in-law that work the farm. They both have jobs elsewhere as well. So it's like a secondary and it's really just a small kind of, we have some beef cows that really just keep our family in beef. <laughs> um, my husband, there's seven kids in, in his family and being a family farm then. So it keeps everybody's families in beef and then we make hay. And by we, I mean, I unload hay wagons when that's necessary. <laughs> That's really, that's really about it. So it, it doesn't require a whole lot of everyday hands-on from me, but it's just, he loves it. I think that if he could figure out how to do it full-time, he would really like to do that. I had an idea for sheep, but that didn't, that didn't go over. <laughs> I was going to say, I've unloaded <laughs> some hay in my life too. And I've helped yeah. with sheep shearing and trimming hooves and, <laughs> but they weren't, you know, they're my mom's animals. They're not mine but I'm used to having them around. I mean, the sheep yeah. are out the window of my studio and you know, either way it is like a environment that you're living in. And yeah. that's a really special thing. Absolutely. Too, when it's, when it's like a family farm, especially like a generational one, like there's such a connectedness to it and to the land and it just makes it extra special. I think. Considering all those things, how uh -huh. do you go about organizing your day? What if you got 10 Etsy orders tomorrow and mm -hmm. everyone was home from school and yeah. it was time to make the hay? What would you yeah. do? Um, I don't clean the house. So there's that. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> that's like the first to go. Like, forget that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, a lot of it. So nap time is like gold. Absolutely. Um, has always been. And I've been pretty like rigidly. I, stri I, I stick to that. Like, I don't do any chores during that time. Like it is just my time to just, unless, okay. So I have to take that back <laughs> because especially through the summer during canning season, sometimes you just, and I, I do have to can and, and that kind of thing, but yeah, I don't know. I think this is one area that I really struggle into is, is balance because I think that I can tend to use my sewing as an escape, even, you know, like when, the pressure is on and there's too much to get done. And then I'm like, Oh, 
but I really just am going to go slow. Definitely. There's a lot to balance there. And yeah, I don't know that I balance it very well, but I definitely, my sewing is secondary. Like it's definitely the secondary thing. And I fit it into the times when it's not imposing on anybody else. Um, is what I try to do. Sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't so much. And it takes me a long time. Sometimes I have a longer turnaround time than I really would like, but it's just the way it goes. And I try not to get too upset about that. I try to just be upfront about that. And you know what, this might take, I understand this one dress, it might take me four weeks. (laughs) And that's just the reality of it. It's like a totally handmade garment. So that turnaround time idea, that's like slow fashion, like the slow food, you know, that it's okay that it takes that time. And then it's commendable. You're just, you're putting it in the nooks and crannies of, of your life, but you're continuing to, you know, instead of, oh my gosh, it's too much. And also on one hand, I see what you're saying, like escape. On the other mm-hmm. hand though, I would argue there's like a deep relaxation that's happening for you when you're sewing that's so good for you. Right. And oh my goodness, for sure. Yeah. And then also on top of that, balance doesn't even quite exist. It's like we try for it and there's like not a good answer. Like, no, that's a myth. (laughs) Total myth. It's nice to aim for it. It's nice to always, I think aiming for it just means we're reevaluating all the time. Uh Is this working? Is this too much? Is this that, you know, it's not like we arrive at it, but some days kind of, it kind of can go great. And some days it all falls apart. Yeah. Didn't you say in one of your last the videos that you made that you posted for Instagram that it was like right after one of your kids had knocked the whole background over? <laughs> yeah, that was actually so in that video, it's got the skirt twirl that's going on. And that's my daughter, my 15 year old that's got the twirl going. And I was using her phone because she's got the better phone that has like the slow mo function on it. So I was using <laughs> I was using her phone and she was twirling and then she like hit the backdrop and then she fell over and like this really awesome. And it was like in the background, he was just, oh, no. <laughs> And I laughed so hard, but it's on her phone and she's refusing to send it to me. I love hearing about that because everyone has that. Everyone has that. I had, I was like teaching a thing or something and I had to be on zoom and it was Christmas. And right when I was walking out the door, the five-year-old knocked the whole tree over on top of himself and everybody's crying. And, you know, Uh so there's so much happening on the backside of (laughs) just trying to pull it off. For sure. And I, when I'm down here in my sewing room. I mean, most, a lot of the times, you know, my kids are running around. So my five-year-old did just start kindergarten and that's been like a whole new dynamic, like a whole new dynamic. And it's just me and my three-year-old at home. And she, out of all of my kids is plays by herself. And she's just off. And I'm like, what, what am I supposed to do? Right. (laughs) Right. I don't know what to do with myself, but for the most part, for the last, like whatever, when both the little ones have been at home, when I'm working, they're just here in my sewing room wreaking havoc. Like, I mean, absolute wreaking havoc. And in order for me to get anything done, I just have to let it happen. Part of what I love about this space is that they really can just kind of express their own creativity in here. As long as they, they always have to ask me first if they can touch whatever fabric. It's working amid chaos most of the time while they're just pulling out ribbons and they're doing all this and they're <laughs> everything everywhere. What has been one of your biggest struggles when it comes to staying on your creative path? Well, I think the balance is probably one of the biggest struggles and the mother guilt, you know, are you familiar with that? Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's a powerful thing. For sure. Of like thinking that what I'm doing is selfish 
and maybe I shouldn't be doing it, or maybe I shouldn't be as focused on it, or um, that it shouldn't be as big of a priority in my life because I need to make these other things bigger priorities, that kind of thing. I think also it can be a challenge, you know, having dreams can be a challenge and it can be, I think really kind of your dreams can crush you in a way. If you, if you let them, if you look at this whole big picture of what you want to be doing and wish that you were doing and you're not doing it and you can kind of spiral in that way, I can spiral for sure. And just feeling like I'm never going to be able to do what I would like to do. And yeah, so that can be a hard thing to stay on your creative path when you're looking towards what you want to do and you're just not quite there. Yeah, I think many people can relate to that. We're seeing all around us what we think is them doing it amazingly, someone uh-huh. else doing it amazingly. They have kids. How are they doing that? <laughs> exactly. And I think too, I have always been a dreamer. I've always had all of these like big kind of dreams that I wanted to do. And I really have not accomplished like half of them. And so realizing or shifting your dream and finding fulfillment in this aspect of something, even though it's not exactly what you wanted. So back to like the sheep thing. So when my husband and I got married, I was, you know, I'm marrying this farmer. There's this farm, this, I can let's, you know, get some sheep. And I had this whole big everything and, oh, and I can spin and I'm not really a spinner, but I could learn to spin and, (laughs) you know, and, and it would just be great. Then after we got married and I kind of started realizing because family farms are, are, they can be complicated, you know, (laughs) when a whole family is involved and, and I started realizing, you know, maybe the sheep just aren't in. And I got really kind of down about it because I had had this whole idea. And so to give that up was kind of a difficult thing. But even then to realize right down the road from us is an alpaca farm that she just, I mean, her fiber is, is beautiful and she makes this yarn and it's literally like a five minute walk down for me. And so shifting and realizing I don't need to do that personally because it's right here in my community. I have other things that I enjoy doing that I know how to do that I can. So just, just shifting, doing, doing the shift of dreams, being a little fluid in it. So it's, it's a meandering path, a meandering creative path, I guess is what I'm saying. So if you're not staying directly on your path, enjoy that meander that it, that it's taking. But You're talking about a fluidity. So it's not giving up on a dream. It's that we don't really get to know how it's going to play out. If you mix that with having this faith in like all those tiny little bits that, I mean, that's kind of the theme of this whole show in a way yeah. as like, don't let go of the tiny bits. The tiny uh-huh. bits are the only thing getting anybody anywhere. So right. even if we see on social media or we see wherever they're doing these things or anything we see had a million tiny bits behind it, or they right. might've had 10 years of tiny bits before they even right. shared what they right. shared. So you know, if we allow ourselves that and find a way to deal with the mom guilt, deal with the, am I being selfish, all that kind of stuff, which is a real struggle. It really, really, really is. And that's why it's so helpful sharing the stories and sharing that we're not alone in those feelings. And we know rationally that our children seeing us follow a dream or be totally into what we're doing is good for them. And it inspires them and gives them permission to do that in their life too. So it's like our brain knows that. And then the other side of our brain is like, yeah, but did I do wrong? You know? And I think on the topic of the little bits too, I think when you have these big overarching dreams, when you've got like these, these big dreams, realizing what little part it is that you can do in the moment 
is really important breaking it down you know and I think sewing especially lends itself so well to that and quilting especially too because you know what I can't make a whole quilt dress in a day I can't do it but I can go and I can cut five squares I can you know what I mean like I can sew three seams and I can set it aside and I can go so it's just breaking it down into the the little bits the little seams that you can do a little bit at a time I mean, quilts are like even a wonderful metaphor for that. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. If you're talking right. about in the old days, you have your scraps. They only had little bits of time. They had to carry their water. They had to, you know, whatever. Or right. there were seasons of it. Like quilting would happen more in the winter time when the uh-huh. farm was put right. to bed. Exactly. And it does lend itself to that. And it's a fun idea too, just that all those little bits, keep with it, keep with it, keep with it. And ta-da, there's a quilt yeah. one day. Actually, I have like just a quick story about the little bit. So my dad is like a a ridiculously creative person. I mean, like just on this whole other level of, and he's where I get my like making from nothing bit because I mean, he's just, but he had this, he had this dream of building a house. He wanted to build a house and he wanted everything. And he got like really weighted down by it, really discouraged because he doesn't even have land, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, so the, the story goes, I guess he was really, really, really down about it. My mom said to him, well, what can you do right now to get there? He realized that he could build a sawmill. So he went to the junkyard, got the bits and built his sawmill and just started sawing the wood. And, you know, before long, he's got a stack of wood still no land, still no anything, but then that fell into place and, and then he got land and then he's, you know, so then he has all his wood sawed from his sawmill that he made. And he, they now live in this beautiful home that he built for them. But it's just that, you know, what you can do at this moment, what's the little piece that you can do at this moment to bring your dream about. Something my dad has always said to me when I was little, and I used to get really annoyed. I say it now to my daughters, you know, and he would say, you know, you know how you get things done? Well, how dad? Well, you work at them. (laughs) so there you have it you get things done by working at it practical and true sometimes the plain truth is the plain truth (laughs) what is filling your inspiration cup these days well um your podcast so thank you for that (laughs) oh for sure yeah it's really just great to hear all the makers like you said like that they share the same struggles that i do and just even like what all they do is just fascinating and wonderful and i really just enjoyed hearing that and not only that but then also what inspires them because then i have to like go look it up so i just checked out i was recently went back to listen to like old episodes that i have may have missed and i was listening to the episode with Melissa Weaver Dunning. And so I just checked out the book craft in American history um, because of her recommendation. I haven't started it yet. I just picked it up from the library yesterday, but I'm really looking forward to that. So yeah, your, your podcast and listening to all the, all the other makers. Also, I would say, so I think it was three or four years ago, I decided to like really make it a discipline to read my Bible, like not just a verse here or whatever I'm getting from the preacher on Sunday, you know, that kind of, but I mean, I like, I really, really read um, a lot of scripture. I go through the whole Bible, I think like 250 is the academic year and then the new Testament and Psalms through the summer. So it's a lot of scripture and a lot of which, um, I mean, not that I understand all of it, (laughs) obviously, but there's a part in, it's an exodus. I think that I just, every time that I read it and it's when God is giving Moses the instructions for building the tabernacle 
and he specifically, God names a person by name and says that he has given him his spirit in order to do all the craftsmanship for the temple. And it's like such an affirmation, such a, it's like crafts are not just this thing, but the creator of the world, you know, gives us his creative spirit in order to do the things that we can do. And it's such an inspiring thing, affirming thing, you know, that it's not just arts and crafts that we're doing. It's not just, but it's just this, this work. And I think that when you pay attention to the affinities that God has laid on your heart, there's this rest that you can find in them. When I stop and think about that, that's the creative aspect that's what you need to think of every time you feel like you're being selfish to do right, exactly. the work you want. Where can people go to learn about all you offer? So I am on Instagram and my Instagram handle is Esther Hollows Mercantile. Instagram is kind of like my little creative outlet or whatever. It's where I post like what I'm up to. And then through my Instagram, you can find my Etsy shop. I have it linked where then I have my dresses available and sometimes some other things depending on what I'm into. Do you have any last words of encouragement? (laughs) I mean, okay. We all need this encouragement. We already all know this stuff. Okay. But it's the idea for asking the question. Yeah. It's like, it's being reminded. It's like Uh just hearing it again and hearing it again and hearing it again. Cause there are struggles there that everyone is juggling no matter what. right? Right. And so what last words of encouragement would you say in honor of everyone out there just doing the best they can to fold all of these things into their lives? if you want to get things done, work at it. (laughs) So I would say like, just not to get overwhelmed with the big picture of things, but just to look at the tiny bit that you can do in this moment, in this time, in this place with the resources that you have and not to get, not to get bogged down. Yes. And don't give up. (laughs) Don't give up. Don't give up. (laughs) And what you're doing is important and it has validity. It has merit. Thanks so much to Rachel for joining us today. And thanks so much to you for listening. I'm Annie Fane Barillon, and I'll leave you with a quote for the day. Creativity itself doesn't care at all about results. The only thing it craves is the process. Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs>